Well, Summit Church at uh, all of our campuses, it is good for me to be with you today and to be able to open God's word. Let me clear things up. Uh, I know many of you saw me your first time here and you thought, gosh, I, I thought JD was older than that. Uh, but uh, my name is Chris Gaynor and uh, I'm one of the pastors here and it is a privilege for me today to be here and open God's word with you. I trust by now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, that you know that 2018 is going to be the year that we as a church focus on prayer and we work on developing our prayer lives. We've already tried to give you some tools and resources that would help you in this. And let me remind you that all of those things are available at summitprayer.com. Pastor J.D. has over the last few weeks uh, given us some incredible motivation and instruction in the last three messages that he's preached on prayer. And this uh, weekend is our last sermon in the four-part series on prayer. And some of you are wondering, why is he up there? Well, your best batters always bat cleanup. Uh, this week, we're going to do things a little differently. I'm going to offer you a few thoughts that I believe God has planted in my heart. And then I'm going to hand things off to your campus teams. And they're going to come and walk you through a time of prayer today as we apply this word. We aren't just going to talk about prayer today. We're actually going to spend some time praying together. I want to talk to you today about your heart and prayer. Because you see, I think if we aren't careful, you and I can work hard at praying and actually miss the heart of praying. Several months ago, I spent uh, almost an entire week sitting in, reading, thinking about, praying through and meditating on Psalm 95. Y'all, it's a practice I would highly recommend. Take a passage and just sit in it, soak in it for a while. And I want to share two insights that came from that time as we look at this psalm together this morning. Psalm 95. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, you can open it there. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Psalm 95 begins with a robust call to praise and adoration and worship of God. The language is full of joy and celebration and trust. Verse 1. Come. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. It's okay. It is okay to shout. The scripture says, shout. Come on, people, shout. Goodness. I'm gonna have to start talking to myself up here. Number two, verse two, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And then it calls out the character and the work of God. Verse 3, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And then it reminds us of our relationship to him. Come, come, let us bow down and worship let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the psalmist seems to take a hard left, and he issued, issues a warning that comes from the very mouth of God. Today, 
if only you would, not, you would hear his voice saying, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. Y'all, those two phrases arrested my attention. They arrested my attention. Don't harden your hearts. And they are a people whose hearts go astray. And it made me ask this question of myself. How do I know if my heart is hard And what do I have to do to keep my heart from going astray? That's the question I want to pose and try to answer with you this morning. How do we as the people of God know? How do we identify if our hearts are actually hard? And what do we do to keep our hearts from going astray? Well, one of the ways that you and I can discover what's in our heart is by examining our prayers. You see, I believe that praying reveals your heart. Praying reveals your heart. We could say by extension also that your lack of praying, your silence, your reluctance to pray uncovers your heart. You see, Jesus said in Luke 6.45, a good man, a good man brings up good things out of the good that's stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up in his heart. Listen to this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Whoa. That's an indictment on all of us. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? Let, let me ask you to do this. Think about, think about what you talked about the last few days. What dominated your conversation? What did you speak about the most? Was it your family or or your job? Was it some challenge you're facing or some dream you have for the future? Maybe it was some vacation you're planning or some new purchase that you're uh, working towards. What dominated your conversation? Or better yet, let me ask this question. What did you find yourself never talking about? What didn't make its way into your conversation? What didn't dominate your prayers? You see, our prayers are produced by the overflow, the excess, the abundance of our hearts. Church, my prayer life, the content of my prayers or the lack of praying on my part reveals the condition of my heart. So I wanna ask you this morning, What does your praying say about your heart toward God? I want you to walk with me through the ACTS acronym. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And let's together examine our hearts as we think about our prayer lives. I think that for many, way too many of us, first of all, our praying demonstrates that our hearts are not captivated by him. Can we be honest? Most of us are not gushing with praise. We don't find it easy to articulate and speak of the greatness of God. Oh, we might use general words, but we can't be specific. We can't talk about the beauty of God in a way that causes others to see him. His praise is not continually on our lips. And why is that? Is it because he's not great? Is it because he's not beautiful? No, 
It's because you and I have not been captivated by the majesty and greatness of God. I know this is going to sound harsh, but simply put, he is not beautiful to us. Oh, it doesn't mean that other things are not beautiful to us. In fact, the reality is that you and I find many things more appealing, more beautiful, and more desirable than God. How in the world can that be? It's because we don't take the time to gaze on his beauty, to consider his character, to marvel at his majesty. We're too busy. We're too busy going after other things. We're too distracted by the things of this world to really seek after him. And that's left us as a people who are only vaguely familiar with the character and beauty of God and not intimately acquainted with it. I read an article just recently by John Piper and he said this, you can't savor what you don't see. You can't cherish and desire and love and enjoy and treasure what you're not aware of. If we don't desire and cherish and enjoy and savor and treasure Christ, then we will not commend him as magnificent in what we feel and say and do, and I would add, in how we pray. You see, our praying exposes a heart that's not captivated by God. But what else does our praying uncover? Well, I think it shows us that our hearts are not broken over our sin. Listen, the scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you couldn't always be sure that you and I believe that by listening to our prayers. Confession isn't pouring out of us. It's not a frequent part of our dialogue with God, not because we have not sinned, but because we aren't broken by our sin. You see, sometimes we blame our sin on others or our circumstances or our upbringing. And we call it things like a mistake, an indiscretion, a lapse in judgment, a character flaw. And you and I fail to look at it and call it what it is, sin, disobedience, rebellion. And all of our rationalizing and gesticulating produces in us a heart that is just plain numb or indifferent to our sin. But y'all, it's not just the brokenness over sin that should lead us to confession. It's the promise of forgiveness and cleansing that should cause my heart to love the privilege of confession. 1 John 1, 9, you know it, you know it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and to forgive us of, uh, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why doesn't that motivate us? My friend Doug Stokey said this to me a few months ago, and, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. He said, Chris, I love confession. He said, I get to crawl in on my belly into the presence of a holy God. I'm dirty and filthy and stained by my sin, but in his presence, I confess that sin and I get to stand up and walk out clean, whole, and forgiven. What's not to love about that? 
And y'all, that wrecked me. It wrecked me because I hate to be wrong. I hate to have to admit that I messed up again. And when I live in that, I miss the joy that comes from freely confessing what God already knows about me. Here is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But there's joy in being able to say that. And once more, my heart, my heart is exposed in my praying. But it's not just our sin that fails to move us. It's his goodness in spite of our sin. You see, our hearts are not overwhelmed by his goodness. Thanksgiving and gratitude are are strangely missing or only a minor or passing part of our prayers because we're not astounded by the goodness of God. Maybe it's because we give ourselves credit for the good things we enjoy. Or maybe there's an attitude of entitlement, a, a sense that we deserve all that God has given to us. You know what, it's possible that some of us can't see his goodness because there's bitterness bitterness and disappointment in us. You see, God hasn't been good to us in the way we wanted him to be good to us. And so we miss the blessings that are ours because our hearts are so consumed with what we don't have and what we can't do. Listen, church, if thanksgiving is not readily pouring out of your mouth for the blessings of God in your life, then you know your heart is not overwhelmed by his goodness. But even our requests expose us. Way too often, our hearts are not desperate for him. Supplication, crying out to God is is absent or anemic because we're not desperate. Maybe we're comfortable with things as they are and and we just don't feel the need. Maybe we're ambivalent to, to the danger that is really in front of us. Maybe we're not aware that there is an enemy prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and there's no desperation in us for the refuge that God provides. Or maybe it's just a lack of trust We've concluded that prayer doesn't really make any difference. He's not going to do anything anyway. Or it's possible that, we're, that our prayers are just a reflection of our pride. We're pretty confident in our resources and our abilities. We can handle it. We got it. We're not desperate. But if I can be honest with you, sometimes it's what I ask for that uncovers my heart. I'm not after him. I'm only after what he can do for me. It seems that way too many of my requests are material and physical and temporal. And that shows where my treasure is. My heart is hungry for comfort and ease and luxury and safety and success. And one more time, my heart is exposed. I'm not desperate for him. But you know what, most of us, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We know that Jeremiah 17 is right. It's not just a general indictment, it's my personal indictment. The heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the diagnosis, but what in the world do we do about it? Well, 
We pray. We pray because praying cultivates your heart. Praying cultivates your heart. You see, at some point, uh, most of you have heard somebody say, or maybe you've said it, oh, just follow your heart. Can we talk about how absurd and ridiculous that is? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know that your heart is not a reliable God. I spent some time this week thinking about all the things from about my teenage years through the last decade that um, my heart has told me. I thought about sharing them with you, but it's way too embarrassing. Suffice it to say that most of what my heart has told me in my lifetime is not good and wise. See, the Bible never tells us to follow our hearts. The Bible never tells us to follow our hearts. It does tell us to guard our hearts, to hide God's word in our hearts, to rend or break open our hearts, to ask for a clean heart, to receive a new heart, to pray for an undivided heart, to love and serve and trust God with all our hearts, but never, never, to follow our hearts. Listen, some of us miss the opportunity to pray because this is our reasoning. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like praying. It's not, it wouldn't be genuine. It wouldn't be honest. It wouldn't be real. Well, let me tell you something. You and I aren't supposed to feel our way into praying. We are supposed to truth our way in. My prayers are not supposed to be an expression of my feelings. My prayers should be an expression of my faith that is anchored in the truth of God's word. And let me tell you, that kind of praying will change your heart and it will affect your feelings. You see, adoration and praise can cultivate a heart that's awed by the greatness of God. But that greatness, listen, that greatness must be observed. It must be studied. It must be considered. Again, John Piper, Christ is most magnified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And we cannot be daily satisfied in the depths of our soul in Christ if we don't see him and savor him. My point, Piper said, is that that can only happen by a steady meditation on the Word of God in the Bible. You see, that's, that's why we've given you a daily Bible reading plan along with the call to pray. The Word of God is your best fuel for prayer. It is the best source to feed your praise and adoration. Would you look at Psalm 95 with me again? Before it ever warns us about the condition of our hearts, it calls us to delight in our God and worship before him. Look at verse 6. Come. Come, church. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Oh, come on. Why isn't that enough to cause my heart to erupt with praise? He's God and I'm his. He's the Lord of the universe and I belong to him. 
Listen to me, church. This God is the real deal. He's epic. He reigns supreme over everything. He created it all. He owns it all. He sustains it all. He is God. And if you are in Christ, you belong to him. You are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. Listen to me, your heart needs to hear your mouth call out the greatness of God so that it learns to cherish and adore and believe and trust in him. A few years ago, um, for my wife's birthday, I, I tell, when I tell this story, I always am the favorite of the women and I get in trouble with all the men. Okay, can let me just say this outright. I have only a few shining moments as a husband, so you gotta call those out when you get a chance, right? So for her birthday, I wrote a book for her. It's not been published, it's just for she and I. I wrote a book for her titled, Things I Love About My Wife. And I spent months reflecting on what I had observed in our years of marriage. And I thought about what I loved about her and I, I wrote paragraphs that celebrated her and who she is. And yes, she loved it. But can I tell you who benefited from that far more than she did? I did. I did. Because as I articulated my praise for her, as I dwelled on what was beautiful and wonderful about her, my love and admiration for her only grew deeper and stronger. Listen, church, observing, studying, meditating on the greatness of God will do that to you. Speaking of his majesty and glory will turn your heart away from the worthless things of this world and toward the magnificence that is your eternal God. Prayers that are saturated with who he is will grow in you a heart of faith and love. And in the same way, confession turns your heart toward the wonder of grace. Confession honest, specific, faith-filled, calling sin what it is will bring you greater joy than anything else you can imagine. Confession turns your heart away from yourself and toward the one who bore all your iniquity on the cross. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Listen, church, all of that is yours when you confess and repent. Let me say this before I move on. Confession is not about how you feel about your sin. It's telling the truth about your sin. Michelle and I have two boys. They are eight and 10. They have two volumes, loud and off. They have two speeds, high and zero. So I can tell you that our house, there is a whole lot of confession that happens. But when they're guilty of an offense, we don't allow them to lead with, I'm sorry. Because frankly, most of the time, they're only sorry they got caught. We ask them to start with, I was wrong to fill in the blank. Because how they feel about it is less important to us than them recognizing and admitting that what they did was wrong. Confession is not saying, I'm sorry. Confession is embracing the truth and agreeing with God about what he says about who I am and what I've done. 
Thanksgiving is yet another key aspect of our praying that can turn our hearts toward God. You see, giving thanks drives me to humility. It acknowledges that all I am and all I have is not my doing, but his. Thanksgiving fills my heart with faith because it reminds me of what God has done in the past and it calls me to trust him for the future. Listen, saying thank you won't guarantee you a genuine heart of gratitude, but I can promise you this, not saying thank you will produce in you a thankless heart. Isn't that why we require kids to say thank you? Isn't that why everything, every time somebody does for them, we say, say thank you, say thank you. Aren't we hoping that them acknowledging another's grace to them will lead them to heartfelt gratitude? Let me encourage you to regularly give thanks for the work of God in your life, both present and past. But let me ask you to move beyond that to giving thanks for the work of God in the lives of your brothers and sisters in this church and in the world. Use your Bible to let it prompt gratitude in you for the work of God in history and let the gospel remind you that the best things God has done for you are not always physical. Before I move to the final way that prayer cultivates our hearts, let me say this. Adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. Adoration, confession, and thanksgiving are essential in praying because they position us to ask rightly. Listen, when you know who you're talking to and you know what he can do, it changes what you ask for and how you ask. Can I say that again? When you know who you're talking to, when you know the character of your God and you know what he can do, you know what he has done and what he's able to do, it will absolutely transform what you ask for and how you ask. Finally, supplication or asking is a key way that you and I can cultivate our hearts in prayer. Can, can we be just, just honest today? Most of us are driven by a desire for personal comfort, ease, safety, and abundance. Anybody in the room mastered that yet? You're out of that category. You got it covered. No, we're driven by that. And our hearts are most naturally turned inward. And our prayers, honestly, they reflect that. But praying as Jesus modeled in what we call the Lord's Prayer and what Pastor J.D. walked us through directs our hearts away from self-indulgence and toward daily dependence. It directs our hearts away from self-centered, petty dreams and ambitions toward his kingdom and his glory. Y'all, when we pray as Jesus did, we surrender our plans to his higher purposes. So that's why it's so important for you and I to learn to read with our Bible open. We need to be directed and guided by the Word of God. We need to let God start the conversation and we respond to what He's saying. We need to put ourselves in a position to let the purposes and promises of God guide our asking. Listen, Jesus said in John 15, 7, it's a startling promise to me. Almost take your breath away. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How can he say that? 
Well, y'all, if I'm abiding in, if I'm dwelling in, if I'm meditating on it, saturated with the Word of God, then my desires are going to be transformed. My wishes are going to be impacted by His Word. And my request, well, my requests are going to be formed by those new desires, and they're going to resonate with the heart and will of God. Praying the Word of God fills my heart with faith and hope. So church, today I'm inviting you. No, no, no. I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting all of us to embark on a journey of heart renewal and transformation through prayer. I want to pray for us. And then our campus teams are going to come and lead us in a time of praying. God, how we need you. Holy Spirit, come and change our hearts. Renew our hearts. Cleanse our hearts. And God, would you teach us from your word how to pray and turn our hearts toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, at all of our campuses, the campus teams are going to come and lead us as a t- in a time of praying together.